Headley Devil. Hello, hello, and good morning. How are we today? Welcome to Wednesday Breakfast here at 3CR Radio. We're joined with Nick, Judith, and Patty, and I believe it was Kate's. I nearly said Kate, but it's Kate's birthday today. Oh, Oh, really? Happy birthday, Kate. Happy birthday, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We miss you. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I've been been up since 4.30 having like... um, not even fever dreams. I was just awake at four thirty. Um, but thinking a lot about um, Sophia the robot. I don't know if you've come yeah, across Sophia the robot in the past week. On I saw that you were also up at four thirty. <laughs> <No, I was. laughs> breakfast radio thing, I suppose. I think it is. Yeah. Um, have you come across Sophia yeah, the Saudi Arabian um, artificially intelligent robot? Yeah. What do you think? Well, I mean, I I do think they're coming in. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot more of them for sure. Is the existential like error light going off in the back of your mind yet? Are you fearing for the future of humanity? (laughs) I fear, but I think we're going to get it. But the thing is, there's still things she can't do, folks. So she doesn't have legs yet. But I did see. It wasn't about legs. It was about her thinking. Oh, hey, yes. I look. If you ask a question she can't answer, she just answers a different question or something, something like that. Yeah. Sounds yeah. very political. So what we're talking about um, over the past week or like so a is a, uh, yeah, yeah, artificial, exactly. uh, a general artificially intelligent uh, robot called Sophia, which, by the way, is like the root of all wisdom. That word means, you know, it's in philosophy, that yes, word is, no is in there. So, that you know, they really named her uh, for, for a purpose there. But she attained uh, citizenship in Saudi Arabia, in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which has also seen some interesting things going on over the past week. I was reading this morning. um, Seems to be, what's going on with the world? I think they're taking a line from Mm. Xi Jinping from China and and dealing with corruption, uh, you know, with corruption in quotes, which may also Mm. be a way of getting rid of your political enemies. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But anyway, it looks like change. And we we talked just a little while Mm. ago about how women are going to get the right to drive cars in you know as of next year so well, maybe this is kind of part of a new change but on, change. on the other hand I was listening this morning as well about the uh, increasing um, issues going on in Yemen which uh, Saudi Arabia so has been at war with and something in the order of seven to nine million people um, without yeah. access to uh, I mean any of the basic needs that, that, that yeah. humans need but um, there, there are some strange things from from artificial uh, intelligence robots to the, the royal family to be- um, murdering to parts of itself and and uh, and looking to 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 get rid of se- uh, um, sorry to get rid of the um, uh, corruption that's in, in that's theory, in there. But yes. uh, yeah, well, the other news also is that Syria has signed the Paris Accord, leaving the United States as the only country in the world who's not committed to climate change. I believe I heard that this morning. Mm. Well. And in other news, to follow up <laughs> on Sophie coming in, we have um, Jose Ramos coming in, bringing his ideas. As as a human, I don't do technology. I am technology. He's, he's, yeah, I, I liked that. <laughs> that sounds It's a reframing of um, yeah, looking at the way humans' relationship with technology and how it runs. Um, I think we're heading for a top of 18 degrees today. Nick, you often have a degree higher or lower than me. No, 18. 18. 18. We're bang on. And we have a haircut. You can't see this in the studio, but both <laughs> Nick and I 
have, have decided to take that time. We have. Yeah, no, so I'm thinking I might follow you. We'll see what happens next yeah, week. Yeah, you just need to oh, yeah, go down yeah, to little, the number, number three. Number three, you reckon? Yeah, number yeah, three. Okay, yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, also in the program, uh, Tim, who was on the program in the past, he's from the um, LGBT history um, what, what's the, the history archive. archive. The history archive. archives. Yeah. Um, will be joining us, and I believe he's going to be regularly joining us to uh, talk to us about uh, a number of issues, in, including obviously LGBT yeah. well, issues. He's going but... to read the you know the cultural kind of environment uh, from the point of view of a historian. And today he's looking at uh, the current debate about re- religious freedom, and uh, in particular in light of the longer history of Australian secularism. And um, so, yeah, I'll just leave it there. We'll see. Yeah, find out a bit later. We've also got, hopefully, Gorio Nanny on the phone, if his children haven't kept him up too late. He's a new father, (laughs) I believe, um, to talk about a letter Juice Media received from the Symbols Officer, um, (laughs) which is an interesting title, but we'll get to hear a little bit more about that and proposed amendments to a certain bill that looks to stamp out satire and political satire in Australia. Oh, fantastic. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but first up, we have some uh, some box pops that you've collected, Judith. Well, I went to the rally on Saturday, which was um, you know in, in demanding that the Australian government bring the refugees on Manus Island to us back to Australia, or at least return the, the well, really back, bring them back. That was really the message, and people are very concerned about the lack of essential services from food, water, medication. And also, since all that's been cut off now, but they're afraid to move to the new accommodation the government has provided because they believe it's not safe. And their concern is justified by reports from both Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch and that that, uh, asylum seekers and refugees have been attacked by armed locals in that uh, even more remote area of Papua New Guinea in in Lorengau. So they're... It's like a stalemate. It's a standoff. And people in Australia, are very, many people, are very worried, first of all, about the health and safety of the refugees. So around 3,000, they estimated. And certainly from being there, it looked like a lot of people came out on the street and uh, to well, talk. To cl- dem- close down the road? Close down the road. That's right. Flinders that, and Swanston? Yeah, right at Flinders Street Station. Exactly. And... Um, and so is it all happening again on Friday, did I hear? That's exactly right. 5.30 at the State Library, there's another action happening. And um, Australia's um, lack of action and, and activities, uh, you know, in relation to these refugees have been roundly criticised around the world. And the UN, in fact, has also called attention to it. So some of the, 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 the report from the rally starts with Adam Bant referring to the UN Um. We are now being shamed in the eyes of the world because we are taking people who need our help and instead of holding an open hand, we are hitting them with a closed fist and you are not doing this for us. I'm here because I think we we all need to um, wake up to our own conscience and realise that we're involved in crimes against people who have lives and families and just because they don't weren't born in Australia without privilege doesn't mean that they don't deserve our, our love and compassion and help. Basically the treatment of people who are, who are fleeing persecution and war in this country is just abominable. We're one of the richest countries in the, in the world. It's very convenient for us to offload responsibilities to other countries like Papua New Guinea. It's not good enough. So this is just a small step, just something very small that we can do, especially as a, as a family, come down and lend our support. 
I am originally from Papua New Guinea, and uh, I don't agree with the fact that the asylum seekers are in Manus. I, right from the beginning, when people asked me, when there was uh, talk of them being held at Manus, I said I do not want them to go there because it will not work. And this is what the problem we're having at the moment. I just think it's pretty awful. It's like a very overtly horrible thing that the government's doing. I'm here today because both sides of politics in this country need to stop torturing people who came to us seeking help and asylum. Responding to a humanitarian crisis with a violent, oppressive and cruel policy is not sustainable. I'm pretty sure it's illegal. To support the men on Manus especially, I know that they they heartened by our support, so that's why I come here. Yes, the same thing, um, and they need to know that we are uh, thinking of them, and the situation has got critical now, and something has to happen. It's important to show that you care, otherwise no one's going to realise. I think you just have to do everything you can, I guess. The Australian government is abusing human rights, and people should know that and protest against that. Six months ago, there was another campaign to bring them here, and uh, it's just a shame that we have to keep doing this because our government's not uh, making any changes and they're not listening to us. Just getting away with such inhumane actions. I'm so angry about how our government is treating the refugees on Manus Island. It's a crisis situation and it's the logical conclusion of their deterrence refugee bashing politics and it's got to end. And uh, as you said earlier, Nick, that the protests are set to continue. And uh, we, in fact, saw that yesterday with uh, the Whistleblowers Activists and Citizens Alliance, WACA, who protested at the Melbourne Cup with one woman. No, she blocked the train line to the Flemington race course. So we saw those images mm. of, of the people, compunders coming along, all dressed up, walking along the, the train line. And also other two other women abseiling from a crane at Flemington to open a banner so uh, that that was that happened yesterday, and the Refugee Action Collective is planning a rally, as you said, Nick, every every Friday at five thirty from the State Library, and today at five, teachers from for refugees are rallying at the Department of Immigration and Border Protection in Lonsdale Street, and yet again another initiative is that people are raising money. Uh, for food and uh, drinking water and other necessities, a group called Chuffed. And so far, they, their goal was 80,000. So far, they've raised 110. So, I mean, I think what we're seeing is an outpouring of support for the refugees and a strong demand for government to, to do something. Big time. And I saw that image of the lady getting dragged from her car and putting it across, I think it was Kensington, I can't remember the train station that she was blocking. Yeah, Flem you know, Flemington. Flemington. Because it's just got that small spur line there. So uh, for, for anybody that's like, hmm, blocking over everybody, it was literally just the races that were being blocked. Yeah, that's So no, no one else. No, no one else. else. No one else. No one else. Yeah. And then, yeah, it coincided with that abseiling up on the crane. Yeah. Yes. And then the grandmothers uh, against the ref detention of refugee children posted on Facebook this morning saying, congratulations to the brave women who stood up yesterday. So, yeah, yeah lots of support from different 
sources. And there are a number of places that you can go and follow along the conversations online uh, if you want to keep up to date with what's going on. Uh, there are a, a, a Twitter page that's just come through from our producer MV. Um, is uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to butcher the name, but Baruz uh, Bachani. Uh, he's one of the uh, one of the uh, refugees on Manus. Uh, he's also a trained journalist, so that's happens right. to be. Yes. Uh, he's been very tweeting. vocal. Yes, yeah. uh, so we'll post a link to that one on our Facebook page, which is yeah. easy to find. Three CR Wednesday breakfast. Uh, if you want to follow along with those sorts of things online during the day, seventeen minutes past seven, and heading for a top of eighteen, mostly sunny today. <laughs> can, we, can I have nineteen? Nope. Nope. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Twenty-one tomorrow. There you go. There I'll go. see you eighteen and yeah. raise your nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> It's coming up, it's coming up. And yesterday was the last day that you could get your votes in and postal survey for marriage equality. But here at 3CR, we still like to continue that until we hear the results. The truth about marriage for um, anyone who hasn't seen it is a short animated video about two girls who fall in love and make a life together. But when tragedy strikes, one partner is excluded from end of life decisions. It's based on several true stories and lots of terrible things that people tell me and things that I've witnessed myself um, with friends and family members. So it's not something that was just kind of plucked out of the air, but something that is going on quite a lot and people don't realise because they tend to think that de facto legislation and wills and guardianship and power of attorney and mm. if we did all of those things instead of a very simple legal marriage that we should just be having the separate yeah, equal equality that we need. Um, they don't realise you know, how difficult the criteria is to often meet and how many uh, crucial circumstances can come into play that negate all of those things. So what I really noticed is for all of those people who kind of consider themselves allies of gay rights but you know they hear all the ACL stuff about the slippery slope and the gender fairies yeah. and so right so they think you know I love you guys but you already have what you need so I'm not getting involved and let's just leave it all how it is. The one thing that seemed to cut through was not that love and weddings are beautiful and that works for, like most people they can understand that and they're like yes I do want you to have that hmm. but for that particular subset they don't realise that the major benefit of civil marriage for us is next to kin status and that yes love is beautiful and yes weddings are beautiful but a long term committed partnership is about so much more than that and it's about how you support each other through the hard times and they really didn't realise how easy it was to shut us out of supporting each other through the hard times so I noticed that when they were told or when they heard it it was one of the few things that could change their preconceived thinking I approached Samuel Leighton Dorr who was an amazing animation artist mm. um, queer and beautiful and gorgeous and I put the idea to him and gave him like the concept for it and he came up with what you see in that beautiful video and he brought Ariella Jacobs on board who's a wonderful singer-songwriter. So from that point I started a crowdfunder and the crowdfunder was to finance the video production in a minimal way but most of it was to do a really intense Facebook video ad campaign using psychometric data methods to specifically target moderate to on the fence no voters. For me it's really about the next of kin benefits that civil marriage provide. It's about this life that we have built together, myself and my partner, we've been together for seven years, we got married in New Zealand in May. It's about nobody being able to tear that apart and us being able to be there for each other. 
no matter what without anybody getting in the way and you know a lot of the comments from people on the page who are haters uh, you know they want to tell us oh well you know Tony Abbott said you've already got everything you need with de facto relationships and what about all of these legal documents Mm -hmm. you can have um for me you know it really is one of the biggest red herrings and it really is why I wanted to put this video out there because Civil marriage is an immediate next of kin document that holds the most sway in any challenge. It's recognised in every state and internationally, and a registry wedding will set you back about 400 bucks. Then you want to look at de facto or registered partnerships, as everyone kept trying to hammer me with. And for either of those things, we've got to bring the receipts on our living arrangements, childcare, sexual relationships, finances, property, our commitment, how long we've been together. It differs in every state. It's not recognised internationally. And our best hope to protect any of those rights is extremely expensive wills and health directives and power of attorney documents, which my partner and I do have Mm. and spend a lot of money on. And even our solicitor said, here are all of the instances and special circumstances where this could be challenged or null and void. And it just seems to me that every time someone wants to turn around and push those things on us, what they're really saying is, I don't think you're as human as I am, but I am covering up that shame with all of these little red herrings so that... I don't have to come out and say, you're not human, okay? And if you want to catch that video that was just being spoken about, you can turn to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast Facebook page and we'll post it there and have a little look. So coming up next now on the line, all the way from Sydney, uh, we have um, Harry Hobbs, who's a PhD candidate uh, in constitutional law and Indigenous rights at the University of New South Wales. And uh, just to to provide the context, in May this year, after 18 months of consultation and debate, Indigenous leaders issued the Uluru Statement from the Heart. And they rejected the idea of uh, just a simple constitutional recognition and called for a representative body, an Indigenous voice to Parliament, to be enshrined in the Constitution. Now, last week, this request was rejected by the Turnbull government, and that move has been strongly criticised, both within Indigenous communities and outside in the general community. So we're going to hear from Harry, who's written um, an article for the conversation entitled Why the Government Was Wrong to Reject an Indigenous Voice to Parliament. So are you there, Harry? Hi, yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you very well, and thanks for getting up early and joining us on 3CR this morning. No trouble. Yeah, so I'm just wondering, just to start generally, what prompted you to write this paper for the conversation? Uh, well, this is a debate that I'm working on my thesis, and it's obviously a debate that's got uh, a lot of traction throughout the community. Um, and so it's something that's been going on for a while now. And really I was prompted by the fact that it was just a, a very such a dismissive um, response by government to something that had been... Uh, that they'd initially supported and suggested and, and promoted and, and paid for, really, that there was a process of 12 regional dialogues across Australia where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples from every community in Australia discussed and deliberated um, over a period of three days uh, at a series of workshops what they wanted, what, what recognition meant to them, essentially. And then this uh, culminated in, as you said, the Uluru uh, Statement or the Uluru Convention uh, in May this year, where around 250 delegates... Um, from each of the 10 delegates from each of those regional dialogues uh, reached agreement, reached consensus on what recognition meant to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And it's, it's, a big, it's a big thing, isn't it, to reach consensus? Because like any group, community mm. group, there are different views within the Aboriginal community as there would be in any community, but reaching consensus is quite a strong statement. 
Of course, um, a really incredible achievement, really. And, and I should say there were about seven delegates who walked out the day before and uh, didn't, didn't agree to the final statement. But to have 243 out of 250 uh, delegates agree to this is, is really quite quite something. And it's then impressive. For, mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then for the government to, to turn around um, and we find out by leaked cabinet uh, release, essentially, that, that they've decided to reject it. And we find out you know, that they finally issue a press release the day before the citizenship case in the High Court to try and bury it. It's really quite disappointing. And and what is the uh, statement, the Uluru statement from the heart calling for? Like, what are people asking mm. for? So there, there are really three things, and, and they just characterise it as, as voice, uh, treaty and truth. So voice, as, as you said, would be a representative body uh, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples would elect, and, and this body would, would really have, only have advisory powers. And so it would just advise the government on legislation that affects Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I mean, that, that's, uh, then, a, that's a pretty gentle request when you think about it. You know? It is, and it was, it was, initially, uh, it was initially developed in response to um, constitutional conservatives or, or the conservative wing on the Liberal Party who were concerned about uh, anything um, too strong, any rights protections in the Constitution. So it was, it was really um, uh, developed by Indigenous peoples who were trying to meet uh, conservative, conservatives on their own terms, essentially. So it was yes. quite a modest um, state, quite a, quite a modest request, really. Yeah. So, so that was um, the first thing, the advisory group. What else? Yeah, and then the other two elements were, were characterised as treaty and truth, and so they they asked for a Makarata Commission, uh, which is a Dongu word that means uh, coming together after a struggle, and and so this Makarata Commission would supervise a process of agreement making uh, between governments and First Nations, and also supervise a process of regional and local truth-telling about Australia's colonial past. Uh, and so they're the other two elements. Yes, and, and that's really, again, um, a dialogue, isn't it? I mean, it's opening another dialogue. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's really just searching for a dialogue, essentially. Um, mm. And so the, these two bodies weren't officially recommended by the Referendum Council and the government didn't officially reject them. Um, but these are something that I guess are another element that, that still is ongoing in Aboriginal advocacy. Okay, so what the government has rejected is the voice to Parliament being enshrined in the Constitution. Is that is that the case? That's that's all we've heard from so far, and I so see. there's no no indication of whether they'll uh, reject or, or support a Makarata Commission, which only requires legislation, so it doesn't require a, a referendum. I see. I thought the, the using the word Makarata was was really also interesting. You know, coming together after a struggle. It, it I just thought it was very positive as a, you know a, a pointing towards the future. Mm. And I mean, that's the entire point of uh, a representative body as well as treaty and truth. It's all as part of a, a journey on recon towards reconciliation, essentially, and it's always looking forward at this stage. So on what grounds has the government rejected the, the voice to Parliament? Uh, well, a number of Indigenous leaders have argued that the grounds that they rejected the, the voice to Parliament are dishonest and disingenuous, but they, they gave three reasons. Um, first, they said that it they didn't believe that uh, such a body was desirable and saying that it was a radical proposal that would undermine equality and the principle of one person, one vote. Uh, they also said that they, it wasn't really clear how the body, body would work. Um, and then they said, as a result of those two reasons, it would uh, inevitably become seen as a third chamber of parliament and therefore wouldn't uh, be capable of accepting, uh, winning acceptance in a referendum. I see. And, and where were they getting their advice from? Because I do understand that... Uh, the people working on the statement had very good legal advice. Uh, absolutely, and uh, and this is one of the, this is one of the questions I guess that many people are interested to know. They they didn't talk to uh, any indigenous peoples. It seems before deciding to reject it, 
but what they the, the the reasons actually mirror and it's impossible to tell whether this this is the cause, but the reasons do mirror a research brief that was distributed by the Institute of Public Affairs in July this year, um, where they rejected the, vo- the voice for the same reasons that the government gave. Um, yeah, the Institute is, you know, for Public Affairs, I think a lot of people are familiar with, and they tend to be a fairly right-wing group. Am I, am I correct? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the, 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 the real problem is, I guess, that you know, these reasons, I think, are, are, dis- are disingenuous. Um, the idea that a advisory body would undermine the principle one person, one vote is, is unclear, really, in my mind, because mm-hmm. there's no way that, uh, that the body has any actual power in that sense. It is merely an advisory body. Is there, um, oh, Harry, Nick here, um, is there precedent for uh, this sort of advisory bro- uh, body in other parts of the world? I'm sort of thinking our close neighbours in New Zealand. Is there a precedent there? Similar sorts of advisory bodies in play between Indigenous groups and colonial uh, populations? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, this is quite a, like a growing area, really. There's a lot of countries around the world that uh, with Indigenous peoples who have similar advisory body type arrangements. Uh, and every, every country has, does something quite differently. Uh, in my in my thesis, I'm looking at uh, the Swedish Sami parliament, actually. And so I've just come back from Sweden for a month where I was doing some work up, up there where the Sami are indigenous population and in, in indigenous people in Sweden right up in the north. And they have a, a, a parliament, is what it's called, which is essentially a, a body that advises the Swedish government on legislation and issues that affect uh, the, the Sami and also has some decision-making powers over, over cultural matters. Uh, and the, that body exists. There's a Sami parliament in Norway and Finland as well. Uh, but there are also similar bodies across the world. There isn't a, a, a formal um, singular type body like that in New Zealand, but they have similar arrangements. I see. And and I also read, and I can't quite place where, but that Australia is the only Commonwealth country without a treaty with Indigenous peoples. Would that be correct? That's true, yes. Yeah. So there was no treaty signed at first contact and, and no treaties have been signed or recognised since. Uh, that said, Victoria and South Australia are currently... Uh, negotiating or in the process of negotiating treaties um, with the Aboriginal nations that live uh, in the in the in the states, uh, and there's been some thought that uh, the Noongar settlement in Western Australia between the, the Liberal government and the Noongar people uh, might um, be treaty-like in some respects, but there's no no officially recognised treaty in Australia, Harry. unlike every other country. Sorry, yep. yes. mm, Harry Paddy here. Um, I was wondering. Where do you see this going if the government does reject all three or just voice and continues on to only count Indigenous people in the vote and not listen to Indigenous people? Um, where can this go and do you see that this statement sort of helps the groundswell build and put pressure on it and can you see it eventuating into something? Yeah, it's a good question. I think certainly the um, statement is a really uh, groundbreaking achievement, and it really helps put pressure and put support, uh, put pressure on government and on both sides of politics, really, uh, to say that well, this is what Aboriginal people want. If you want to go go through constitutional recognition, we now know what Aboriginal people want. So either we either go for that or we don't go for that. Um, in terms of the immediate future. Uh, the government has rejected the possibility of a referendum, so there won't be a referendum, uh, at least while the Turnbull government's in power. Um, the Labor Party has committed to a voice, um, but it's unclear whether they'll push it to a referendum. They could, if they come into power in the next election, they could legislate for it uh, and create this body, but it wouldn't be constitutionally enshrined. Mm. Um, that would be positive, but the problem with that really is that there have been three Indigenous advisory bodies in the last, well, since the 1970s, and they've all been abolished um, after a few years. And so the, the point about constitutionally enshrining it is that it means that it couldn't be abolished at, at some point in the future. 
so in terms of the next little bit, I think that Aboriginal people are, are committed to pushing for a voice and they're trying to maintain support and, 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 and gather support around the country. So non-Indigenous peoples who are interested should try and find a petition and sign a petition. Yeah, there uh, is, I noticed there was a, a petition that people can sign, yeah. There is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And where's that doing the rounds all around the place? For, where can people get so, it? So if you type in uh, One Voice Uluru in Google, you should be able to, it should come up. Um, and then uh, there should be details, the details that come up from there. But there's a, there's a, there's a physical document that's going around the country, but also you can do it online as well. Which I did on the weekend, I might add, yes. And uh, having read the document, and I did notice New, New Matilda published the, the one-page document in full just to let people know, you know, that this is how it reads. I, I was very moved by it, and it feels to me that it feels really like a statement from the heart, which makes it all the more, I think, devastating, um, to the, you know, that the voice to Parliament has been rejected. And it has a very reconciliatory feel to me, an invitation to work together, words like, with substantive constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through as a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. I mean, I think that's just amazing. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's, um, it's very poetic. Yes. And I think that the point, the, the phrase that you bring up is, is, is key again, where it's really saying, look, you know, we want to be part of Australia. Um, to be part of Australia, we need an advisory body so government listen to us. As a, as a 3% minority, it's impossible to have um, the parliament listen to issues that concern them, really. And so they're saying we just want an advisory body. Yeah, and the, the one vote, you know, one person totally ignores the, the you know, Indigenous uh, connection with land, the Indigenous peoples having been here first. I mean, they are, excuse me, they are in a unique position in Australia. And it feels quite backward, actually, that, uh, you know, nothing more has been done uh, you know, or, that, or that it looks like this document might be held back. But I think you're saying, you know, there are still a couple of other things still to be negotiated and there are next steps. So it sounds very important for people to get behind it. I, I think so. It's certainly, it's certainly not dead yet. Yeah. And Harry, you've been, I mean, you have a lot of experience to bring to your PhD. I've noticed you've been a principal research officer in the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Human Rights, and you've worked as a human rights legal and policy advisor at the ACT Human Rights Commission and as a legal research officer in the High Court. So this must be all really useful experience to draw on in the, in the work you're going to be doing in your PhD. Uh, uh, thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um this is uh, it's all been it's all been really valuable the work that I've done in the, in the past and it's certainly led to led to this uh, focus at the moment. Um, so I'm I'm really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And your your, your um, paper came out was published last week. Have you had any response? Uh, yeah, so I've had, I've had a few people who are interested to hear more about it, which is always helpful. And I think that's the, the real value about uh, writing conversations is that allows allows you to sort of what you what you're working on in, in a more academic context that you can try and. Uh, translate that to a wider audience. So it's been really, really helpful, I think, particularly with something like this, where it's really important, I think, that people understand what the voice to Parliament uh, is intended to be, and uh, and don't really don't uh, don't just accept um, what I think are quite disingenuous reasons on the part of the government for rejecting it. Mm. Well, thank you, Harry, so much, and all the best with your study, and look forward to hearing more about what you're doing in the future. Thank you very much. Pleasure. It is 3CR Wednesday breakfast. As Prime Minister of Australia, I am sorry. 
coming live to you from the Aboriginal Ten Embassy in Canberra as part of the Sorry Day Convergence. And here comes Gilla. How you going, Gilla? How's it going, Gab? How's it going, uh, all you listeners down Melbourne? And you're missing a great time up here and uh, a great day. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio station bringing you coverage of community issues and events. We need your support. Call 9 419 8377 and subscribe today. We can't face the future now until we face the sorrow. I feel hopeful. I feel grateful. I feel sorry. As an Aboriginal person, let me shake your hand. Thanks very much for being here today. Thank you very much. No worries. City Limits, brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. Green Left Weekly Radio. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. Tune in every Friday morning at 8am on 3CR. CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor The New International Bookshop for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. 15 minutes away from 8 o'clock on your Wednesday morning. It is 3CR Breakfast with Paddy, uh, Judith and uh, Nick and uh, Paddy on the line. On the line we have Giordano Nani, writer, oh. his, <laughs> writer, historian and co-creator of Juice Media, who we have just lost. Yes, yes, we have. Um, uh, we'll, we'll be we'll right back try to... in one second. He's well worth a listen to. He's <laughs> so... Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. 
Grassroots Voice is broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. It's CCR, it's breakfast. And we're running round two. Here's Giordano Nani. Um, is on the line now, and I can see the green light flashing. Are you there, Giordano? Hey, I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being with us. I understand that you're also a new father. <laughs> That's right. Congratulations. Yeah, my, um, my new uh, side job hobby now, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. I've read a few of your works, and I quite appreciate seeing Juice Media's work pop up. Um, in and around the social media and different places where you often catch the work. You've been lighting fires, cyber fires underneath the Australian government for a while now, calling out bad culture <laughs> where it is since 2009. Um, can you tell myself and others who might not be familiar with Juice Media's work what it is and how it came about? Yeah, sure. Um, so, it, I mean, it started out as a YouTube channel, really, um, and um, I used to upload quite a lot of content that I would film, like many Indigenous voices. Uh, I started up working a lot with Robbie Thorpe, who is one of the presenters there at 3CR with you guys, um, and uh, uploading in voices of Indigenous people, which I felt needed to kind of have a bigger exposure um, on, you know, in the, on the internet. It was very little compared to now. This is pre, you know, Twitter, pre-Facebook kind of thing. Um, and then I thought, um, actually, it would be great to start uploading original content. So I um, started working with a fellow called Hugo, uh, who's a rapper. And um, we, put, we started a collaboration and we did a show called Rap News, uh, which became quite well known um, around the world. We did shows about WikiLeaks. We had cameos with Julian Assange and Noam Chomsky. And it kind of became a bit of a, a cult show. And then we ended that uh, project a couple of years ago, and I was like, "Well, what do I do now? Um, you know, do I, you know, go back and get a normal job, or do I kind of carry on with um, making internet uh, videos?" And I thought, no, "I really want to want to give this a shot. I think I can. You know, there's a lot more to say and a lot more to do." So I started a new series um, called "Honest Government Adverts," which is pretty self-explanatory. It's basically <laughs> Great you know, um, <laughs> if the government were honest, uh, this is what it would say. Yeah, and I started yeah. making these short, um, short, short clips, short, um, you know, adverts about either whether it was a marriage equality plebiscite or uh, the Adani coal mine or you know the Great Australian plans to drill for oil and the Great Australian bite. Um, that's basically um, it. Just lent, it provided a cool format um, for telling them, you know, for, for basically. <laughs> projecting this vision, this hope of, you know, the government being honest uh, and telling us what's really going on. And I think people really respond well to that. There's a real craving for, like, so I can just stop the bullshit and, uh, you know, tell us the truth. And um, so I'm just encouraging the government to do that. It's very hard sometimes to get to the bottom of what's really going on because you don't know how, particularly how corporations are connected with government and across different aspects of government. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, you never know how, how deep <laughs> how deep the rabbit hole goes. No, definitely. Uh, and obviously, this... I should say it's satire. So, you know, it's, all of the videos are very clearly uh, comedic. And, uh, you know, it, 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 we try to get the message across mm. in, a, in a funny, engaging way. 
And often um, you... We don't try to deceive people into thinking that this really is the government, uh, unlike what the <laughs> government seems to think. Um, but yeah, it's very clearly satire. I should have made that disclaimer at the start. <laughs> <laughs> that was our bad Israel, Gordano. Well, but perhaps before we go on, um, should we just have a listen to uh, uh, yeah. the, the clip that addresses uh, this particular issue? So, so here it is, uh, honest government advert, war on satire. It's coming up. But I was going to say, um, it has landed you in a bit of hot water and you always um, land Juices Media's latest content often in a hyperball of information that's coming out and it's quite refreshing to hear something that does cut through and call out BNS. Hello, I'm from the Australian Government with an important announcement about a matter of national stupidity. It has been brought to our attention that some called the Juice Media have been impersonating us in a series called Honest Government Ads, which has been tricking millions of innocent, hard-working citizens into believing their government is honest. For instance, you may have been fooled into thinking we made this truthful ad about the marriage equality plebiscite, or this ad about our Centrelink debt recovery policies, or this hideous one about our inhumane treatment of refugees. Oh, actually, never mind, that is one of our ads. As they could be mistaken for actual government communications, we've identified these honest government ads as a danger to you. That's because our regard for your intelligence is extremely low. That, and the fact that our policies on welfare, refugees, climate change, and the gays are genuinely so up, it actually is getting harder to distinguish them from satire. So, in order to protect you from using your own brain, we've sent the Juice Media an email telling them not to use our logo. This logo right here, which you are seeing right now. Don't use it. For good measure, we've also introduced a new law to punish such behaviour with a five-year jail sentence. But don't worry, we'll exempt genuine satire from this law. Genuine meaning anything we find funny, and we obviously have a great sense of humour. We urge all of you not to watch the Honest Government ad and don't support the Juice Media on Patreon, as it only encourages them to keep on exposing our unceasing attempts to dumb you down, bend you over and you sideways. To anyone else thinking of impersonating the government to make us look like idiots, seriously, don't do it. We already do a perfectly good job of it ourselves. A little language um, that is uh, post-breakfast uh, warning. Uh, sorry about that. But uh, also <laughs> the, the website there, patreon.com forward slash the juice media. Uh, <laughs> there it is. And if you hadn't heard it, it's there. Um, now, you've been, obviously, from that video that we all just heard there, um, the National Officer of Symbols has emailed Juice Media Headquarters, HQ, um, very stern warning saying, please don't appropriate our symbols. Um well, maybe you should just explain what that symbol looks like because uh, the coat of uh, arms for the Commonwealth and the symbol that you use is quite different. I've got it up here, and there's kangaroo with a a kangaroo with a um, CTV camera on top of its head, an emu with a similar a similar thing up there, and then you've also got a unidentified head at the top of both of them. Um, so it does yeah. seem quite ridiculous. It does. To be calling out that. Yes, it does. Yeah. I'm wondering, does the government understand satire? <laughs> that's the key. That's the most worrying part in all of this, isn't it? Well, I mean, we always um, say Americans don't understand irony, yeah. and uh, maybe yeah. we have a similar, a different problem here about satire. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah no, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, no, well, just to start from, from the beginning, I guess, um, you know, the, the, the videos um, that I've been doing started getting a lot of views um, this year. Where um, I think you know, in the midst of one of them received 10 million views. 
uh, the one I just did, 8 million. So, like, especially when it's on Australian topics um, and it's mostly Australian viewers, that's actually a significant amount of people. It's like, you know, a quarter of the population of the country may have seen uh, a video, uh, the latest video on the Great Australian Bike, for example. So I think normally the government kind of turns a blind eye to criticism, but um, I think it's a real sign of <laughs> that we're doing the right thing. And that exactly. We, that we're, we're kind of getting the, the, this kind of response that um, they would bother writing us an email. And this email that came, it wasn't actually a stern warning. It was actually very politely written. Um, oh, good. It was, came from the, the National Symbols Officer, which nobody um, <laughs> has ever heard of. We don't no, know what that know. is. Amazing. It sounds <laughs> quite satirical sounds like, itself. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you could either look at it as comical or quite ominous. Mm. Uh, it's, it's got a, quite a fascist. <laughs> yeah, like the Big Brother like, is watching you. Yeah. <laughs> big Symbols, brother. Yeah, that, that's right. The approved Symbols uh, Department or something, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, is it a really but, uh, a department? I mean... Well, it came from the the the, 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 uh, the department of the prime minister and cabinet. So it's, oh. you know, that that is the department, and they have a national symbols office. Mm. I suppose I don't know. I think they made a maybe they just made it up just for this occasion. It's like hey, we need we need a national symbols officer here to um, tell these uh, funny people they're not funny people on the internet. Well, you know what to do. I, I have a feeling anyway, I can... they wrote. Oh, sorry, keep going. <laughs> I was just going to say, look. You... Basically, it was quite a politely worded email saying, you know, we, we came to our attention that, um, you know, um, some people have been complaining about this. It doesn't say who these people are uh, that have been complaining. I, I very much doubt that it's actually citizens um, because I, I have a bit more respect for the average intelligence of, of people out there. I think and pretty much everyone can understand this as satire, not just from the logo um, that we've parodied, but from the get-go. I mean, if you don't realise it's a satire, there is... It's a real problem, and the problem isn't with people not understanding it. The real problem, if people don't understand it, it's that the, the, the real question we should be asking is, what does it say about our government? You know that its policies and its, you know, its um, its laws and its proposed kind of directions for dealing with climate change or refugees can't be distinguished from satire. I and mean, that's how bad they are. It's not the people's fault or my fault for misleading. It's um, their fault for being so fucking ridiculous. You know? is- is this perhaps anyway. even more ridiculous um, that we are in this environment at the moment that is being saturated by actual fake news, not satire, not something that's aimed to be funny, but something that is aimed to mislead, that is aimed at people, often yeah. uh, often not just fake news that's just uh, you know frivolous, that has no point, but fake news that has been developed with psychological profiles in mind to get people to... To you know, do things in a certain way, yeah. and the and the Australian government is worried about actual satire about us taking the piss out of this situation. That's right. Yeah, no, they're totally different things. There's no, um, there's there's not like I'm intentionally trying to deceive people or manipulate people or trick them into thinking something that is very clearly satire. And the, you know, this is why you know we have satire because mm. this is the, the job of satirists is really to 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 do this so um to kind of step in and suggest that you can't um is worrying um however i just wanted to make it clear that the national symbols office they they wrote saying can you please stop using our logo they refer to it as a logo which is interesting because it's kind of very corporate speak you know it's not mm. an emblem or a coat of arms they call it a logo um you know, because it, it, they said, don't use the logo and don't use anything that could look like the logo. You know, like, you know, okay. the words, don't, mm-hmm. don't imitate it either. Um, and so 
I made a new logo where I changed the... Well, actually, I got my friend Ben Wild, who's an excellent uh, gra- graphic designer. He works a lot in the in the anti-fracking kind of campaign, and uh, he does a lot of this kind of brand jamming stuff. And I asked him, can you, you know, can you make us a little bit more obviously not like the original? And we played around with some ideas, and that's where we changed the head of the emu and the kangaroo and put a ship, Captain Cook's ship, instead of the instead of the, you know, in the in the coat of arms in the middle and alien head at the top. And then just to be absolutely clear, we instead of Australia in the in the you know in the little um, banner which says Australia, we just put not the real logo uh, to, <laughs> to make it absolutely absolutely clear. And um, and I posted that online just to kind of like because I thought it was funny. Um, I thought it was hysterical that this, that this would happen. So I posted that logo online, telling people about the story, and it instantly captured the. You know, everyone, everyone, everyone just thought it was just the most ridiculous, um, and also kind of unwarranted kind of overreach. Yes, of, of and even authority. even o- o- ominous in a in a kind of sad sad mm. way yeah. too. Because mm. they are actually That's proposing right. to change the law around political yeah, satire. So, so what is this? Uh, and it's due out on the thirteenth, isn't it? The uh, yeah, better hurry up and make another video then. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So just uh, do you know a little bit more about this um, piece of legislation that's being proposed? I mean, we yeah. heard that it, there's five years jail uh, uh, behind it uh, as a penalty. What, what else about it? Yeah. Well, okay, so the, the, the bill is called... Um, it's, a, it's an amendment to the criminal code, uh, and it's called uh, uh, impersonating a, gum, a Commonwealth body. Mm. Um so basically, it's amending the, the minister, the justice minister, Michael Keenan, he, when he when he when he brought the, the bill into parliament, said, you know, there's a gap in the current legislation that doesn't allow us to prosecute somebody who's impersonating the government, um, and uh, we we need this in order to make sure that Australians can have faith in what their government says, which is another. It's a really it's a really funny. Thing <laughs> Does to anyone say, you know? have like, faith? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Is. This, this is going to fix the problem. The problem is that you bastards aren't honest. That's the problem. You know, it's not. Yeah. You can't prosecute people impersonating you. Anyway, um, so yes, this new law that's been brought in has a penalty of between two to five years jail um, for anyone um, basically impersonating the government, and they make it clear that even if the government agency that's being impersonated is fictitious, it's still this law still applies. So you can even make up the Department of Silly Walks and, uh, you know, that potentially could bring breach of the Act. They do have a provision for satire, um, but it's a very weak exemption that's kind of buried in, in, in the in the glossary. It's like a terms of... It's not a, not a, not a significant part of the, the Act. It's kind of like a definition. And it says... It refers... It says, you know, this law does not include conduct engaged in solely for satirical, academic or artistic purposes but anyone who's familiar with the legal speak will know that when you start to put too many qualifiers and adjectives in front of anything, it, they become meaningless. So you, already the word satire is not defined, in, like even in the Copyright Act, where you have the exemption for fair use of satire, mm-hmm. which a lot of YouTubers and social media people are familiar with. Can, can, um, I, can I ask uh, who's going to yeah. adjudicate these um, decisions about whether that law has been broken, the amendment to the criminal code? Is this something that a minister will determine, or will it go to a court of law? Well, that, that I would assume it would go to a court of law. If you're found to be in breach and you're prosecuted, you may be, you may be, uh, you know, processed under this particular law. I'm, I'm thinking because there are some situations under the, the, I think, the Border Force Act, or under some changes to the law, 
where it is determined by a government minister. So, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I can't be more specific oh. on that, uh, it, but I did hear George Williams speaking about it as a constitutional yeah. lawyer a few years ago. So that's mm. something I'd certainly be looking into around that. Well, that, that's kind of concerning, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it I may mean, not be warranted. Is, it may not be warranted. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, it's very difficult for anyone to really enforce this law because, as I was saying, there's no definition of satire. And who decides what is genuine satire? Like, you know, is there going to be a department, government that, you know, determines whether something's funny or not? And the funny police, says, I think it would come from the department. Only for genuine satire. So that's also problematic because, you know, I'm, I do things for satire, but I also do them for political mm. reasons. Or uh, someone might do them for advertising revenue. Does that all of a sudden mean that they're not protected, you know, by the freedom to speak. And obviously this brings us to the most fundamental problem is that we don't have a Bill of Rights. So really we don't yes. have a freedom of speech uh, uh, law or kind of any kind of um, legal document that protects our right to speak. And any time the government comes out with this kind of bullshit, really we need to be asking the questions, you know, why don't we have a Bill of Rights that protects us against in the United States, something like this would be thrown out immediately. It's like a, a violation of your First Amendment rights. Here we don't have a Bill of Rights, and so we have to kind of deal with these kind of encroachments on um, on our freedoms, basically. Yes. No civil liberties. Thanks so much, Gordano Nani, for joining us. It's been a true pleasure to hear your voice here on 3CR. Um, I Thanks hope Patreon. I hope pa- your Patreon subscriptions keep growing and into the future, and obviously not very scared of that, very polite letter from maybe a fictitious government department that looks very serious <laughs> but thank you very much all nonetheless thank you very much and thanks to you guys uh, for doing all the great work you guys do at 3CR cheers thank you very much <laughs> and if you'd like to learn more there's a really great article on the electronic frontier EFF um, titled Australian Government Want to Give Australian Satire the Boot and it outlines the issues proposed by the amendment um, or the proposed legislation in greater detail. Um, it's an American organisation, so it brings in a lot of context what Gordano was just talking about then um, in terms of not having something enshrined within our constitution. And we are going to be catching up with uh, Tim uh, from the LGBTI History Archive Centre shortly, but right now uh, this is Luboku with The Surface on 3CR Breakfast. Thank you. 
Boku from Melbourne and that song The Surface has a new video clip that is out that we will post on the 3CR Wednesday Breakfast uh, Facebook page that you can check out. Uh, it is about 10 minutes past 8 o'clock on Wednesday Breakfast with uh, Judith, Patty, and Nick. And uh, welcome to the studio to Tim Jones. Good morning everyone. And, and I've got to get official because it's Dr. Timothy Jones right? <laughs> <laughs> as a senior lecturer at La Trobe University yes. and a uh, cultural historian with interest in gender, sexuality, religion, and more. I mean, just looking at your research profile, you've done a lot. And and today begins a regular slot. Tim's going to come in once a month, and he's going to kind of look at uh, the cultural trends around and, and uh, comment on that and uh, bring his critical analysis. So, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Hang just on. rambling thoughts. But before we, <laughs> before we get started, <laughs> we need some kind of like intro if it's going to be like a regular segment. Um, would, would something along... <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing this really quick, but... Um, we have uh, Dr. Jones. <gasps> no! This song is a curse on my life. Sorry, no, I couldn't no. find the right spot of the I, song. I, I, I keep thinking that students will that will be too young now to remember Aqua in the 90s, but no. <laughs> These things keep rolling back around. Yeah. They do. Yeah, sorry. No, we no, won't here we go. Nick, Nick started the role here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're working on it, Tim. We're, Tim suggested Doctor Who maybe theme, but I'm sure we'll come up with something fantastic before yes. your next no. appearance. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tim, I've, I've, uh, I've uh, or, um, advertised you as talking about the current debate around religious freedom and contextualising it in the longer history of Australian secularism and more. Mm. So, yeah, just get us started. Well, this is one of the things that has been uh, at the, in the background of my research agenda for the last mm, five years or so. Um because I think Australians aren't very good at talking about religion. We're quite a secular society in the sense that most people in Australia don't hold strong religious beliefs. But not holding beliefs also means that we're not very confident to talk about people who do have beliefs. Yes. yes. Uh, and this problem has reared its head particularly thinking about uh, same-sex marriage legislation and what protections of religious freedom would be required if same-sex marriage were to be legislated. Mm, so, I mean, it, I just it called comment on that. My son's just come back from New York, and I called him to see how it was, and he says, they're much more into religion in America, even in New York, yep. compared to Australia. So your comment about us being a secular society, that was one of his first observations. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, Australia is secular in two ways. Uh, it's secular formally in the in that it doesn't have an established church. There's no state religion, um, and so it's a secular state in that sense, unlike Britain and, and many other countries which have an established church, uh, or Iran, which is formerly a theocracy. Um, but and so it's secular in that way, and in the sense that most people uh, hold no strong beliefs. Um, we're not very articulate about it, but that has meant that for the no campaigners, it's been a really effective tool. John Howard, whatever you may think of him, is quite a masterful political tactician, and he was the one who very early on said, we need to see the legislation, we need to see what uh, religious protections will be provided. It's a very effective scare tactic. He did this around refugees, Tampa, a whole series of things in um, when he was Prime Minister, and he started this uh, in for the No campaign uh, fairly early in the campaign, but but especially it became when when it became relatively probable that the yes vote was going to win, 
the no campaigns propaganda zoomed in to protections of religious freedom and it became it's to me it seemed as though they weren't really campaigning to win anymore they were laying the groundwork to uh establish to have to have strong protections of religious freedom in any legislation that would be passed so the last couple of weeks most of their campaigning you know their campaigning has really emphasized the need to protect freedom of religion and that sounds like a reasonable prospect to most fair-minded people what does it mean what does it mean to have freedom of religion i mean i feel like we're in a a post uh uh, freedom uh or at least the post meaning of that word stage of existence at the moment (laughs) what does freedom mean if everybody thinks that their particular point is one uh based on the you know the progression of freedom but everybody's contradicts as well so we can't all be talking about freedom then i know freedom's become quite a weasel word Mm. Um, yes yes uh, I made a joke about freedom cats with my friend Roland the other day, but it's probably too complicated to <laughs> extend here. But you can have freedom anything, and you've got to approve of it. Even though you that can was... have freedom furniture. Yes. Well, we were trying. He was he was suggesting that feral cats, feral might be a bit derogatory towards cats. So oh. why not call them freedom cats? Because that will like <laughs> they are free. That's true. Yeah, no, I see. <laughs> anyway, but that, that sort of shows the sort of d- the dark side of uh, freedom in contemporary political usage. Actually, that's quite a good example. <laughs> um, freedom cats, they're very... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, um, but and actually what we're looking at in um, the freedom of religion in the same-sex marriage debate at the moment isn't actually um, freedom to practice religion. Like, human rights clearly protect uh, freedom of thought, freedom of belief and freedom of religious practice. But it doesn't take very long to think about this. In current, in current um, marriage legislation, clergy have the power to refuse to marry anyone on any basis. No clergy will ever be forced to marry people they don't want to. They can, be, they can refuse to marry straight people for no reason at the moment. And there's no reason to think that, they'll, that those protections for their freedom of conscience and freedom of religious practice will change like they'll suddenly be forced to marry every gay person that wants to get married, but they can still reject straight people. <laughs> That's just silly. So clergy won't be forced to marry gay people. And religious people uh, who don't agree with same-sex marriage won't be forced to enter same-sex marriages. I mean, that would be quite, that would be quite novel. <laughs> that would be creepy. Creepy. <laughs> creepy. Forcing people into yeah, marriage. Yeah, it's getting shades of uh, Handmaid's Tale, but a lot gayer. <laughs> <laughs> So no one's going to be forced to think uh, or practice against their beliefs around same-sex marriage. So it's like, well, why do we need... What is the freedom we're talking about? Yes, what freedoms are needing to be protected? Mm, And what it actually is, it's a bit like freedom cats, feral cats. Um, (laughs) uh, What they're asking for isn't protection of beliefs. Erica Betts, Senator Betts, suggested recently that over a hundred different protections of religious freedom would be required if same-sex marriage were legislated. Did he list them? I think so. I couldn't be bothered oh, reading <laughs> um, uh, But what it actually is, is freedom to discriminate. That's what I... Yeah, Which isn't freedom. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I mean, this is fundamentally erodes the understanding that we have of what freedom is. It's, it's Freedom is for you to be able to go out and engage in something 
but not for you to go out and stop somebody else engaging in something. That's that's not freedom. That's you being a, a bit of a bully to somebody else. It reminds me, like, the example that keeps coming up to me is being 16 in high school again, and you'd be playing a game like we used you know, I was in the, uh, not the cool kids, not the complete dorks. I was sort of in the middle ground, I guess, in high school. Um, maybe a little bit on the dorky side. <laughs> I'll be Wasn't honest. Wasn't going to But, you know, we, we'd be playing a game, whatever, down ball, four squares, one of these basketball, uh, these sorts of games, and you'd get one of these, um, one of these kids who, you know, you had a bit of friction with. With, come in, walk into the middle of your game, steal your ball, and then claim, oh, it's a free country. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of attitude that it feels like we've got going on at the moment. People who are bullies walking into the middle of somebody else's thing that they have nothing to do with, stealing their ball and claiming it's freedom. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and it's a bit of double speak as well, because for most of us, freedom of religion is freedom to practice your religion. Yep. And diversity and all of that. Yeah, and it doesn't take too long to to look into it and to think of other examples where the um, the logic of it comes becomes unstuck. Uh, the bakers seem to be getting a lot of sympathy. Bakers with sensitive religious uh, beliefs don't want to be forced to make gay wedding cakes as if plonking an extra groom or an extra bride on the top. <sighs> Um, it will be will contrary just, to their religious will practice. You just accept the extra fifteen bucks profit or whatever it is for you selling can probably a bloody charge cake. more to gays. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you think about other providers of wedding services, champagne sellers are any champagne sellers clamouring for protections not to have to sell sell champagne to gay weddings? Like it just doesn't. Or other other sort of celebrations contrary to the beliefs of uh, a particular religion. Are Christian bakers not going to make cakes for bar mitzvahs or for Muslim weddings uh, or for pagan weddings? Like, like it's just in it, it doesn't make sense when you extend it beyond that, which exposes the fundamental homophobia behind this. But it's a homophobia that's grounded in current law. Mm. So I think I think what this highlights for me. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'll keep going. I told you it was going to be rambly and ranty. (laughs) Currently, Australian law grants particular exemptions to religious organisations from sex discrimination legislation. Yeah, so um, that schools hiring teachers, I think, is one exactly. Example. Yeah, and 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 uh, the Catholic Archbishop of Melbourne raised this explicitly. He said, "Any, I mean, currently, uh, any gay teacher." can be sacked from a Catholic school for just for being gay if, if they're outed, um, uh, along with, you know, unmarried mothers, people who've, you know, anyone who, who breaks Catholic moral codes can be sacked. Anybody wearing two kinds of cloth in their clothing. Yeah, Catholics, aren't, Catholics seem to be good on polyester cotton for some oh, reason. Oh, yeah, I see. Um, <laughs> uh, and he said any, any employee of Catholic education uh, who gets gay married, uh, will be sacked. Mm. And I think that should start sending off alarm bells. I mean, that, that's this is a sort of area in current law where he's where they're allowed to do that. And what they're arguing for is for massive extensions mm. of discrimination, oh. of their powers to discriminate. Okay. And, 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 categor- and, and what they're really aiming for is a category exception. Mm. So currently, religious organisations have the power to discriminate. So churches, church properties, schools. In Victoria, it's different from state to state. In Victoria, 
religious uh, aged care facilities no longer have that power. So that's I think that's a very sensible winding back of yes. exemptions to sex discrimination legislation. Yeah. But what they're arguing for here is not uh, a, a protection or uh, an extension of organisational powers to discriminate, but individual powers to discriminate. So the individual baker or champagne seller or florist can just decide on their own whim that it's against their principles to sell to black people or to Asian people or to, or to women. ginger mm. people, the, the, the much maligned gingerhead uh, mm. population. Yes. Why, why are we doing this? Like, those signs <laughs> popping up in bakers, that's common to when the due extinction in um, Nazi Germany and mm-hmm. just allowing those systems of discrimination to end. But on listening to you speak, Tim, it just sounds like fat cats scrambling, these fat feral cats scrambling to enshrine privilege that they've had Mm -hmm. for so long to discriminate Mm -hmm. and then, yeah, place it in there for so much longer. How do you think um, that foundation laying has gone? Do you think it's falling on deaf ears or do you think they're actually grabbing a bit of and laying a few slabs, if you will? Playing a few slabs. Like in terms uh, building oh, sorry, like, sorry. Their agenda. Yeah, sorry. I've, I've stopped drinking. As soon as you said laying a few slabs, I just had an image of, of, of slabs of beer in front of me out of my reach. Um, I shouldn't say that on radio. Eight twenty in the morning. We, 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 we never know what Nick's got behind the back. <laughs> That's why I um, sit on this side. How, how effective is it being? I think it's quite effective in public discourse. I think that yeah. I haven't. Uh, it's concerned me that I, that so few voices have come out uh, criticising um, this argument about freedom of religion or calling its bluff, saying, no, it's not freedom of religion, you want extra powers to discriminate. Well, I think that yes. just needs to be said again and again and again. Yes. Uh, because I think the current powers that religion has to discriminate, and I think this is a discussion people should have, but I think they're possibly too, too much already and that they shouldn't be extended. Yeah, and, and it's easy to mislead people around this. Yeah, absolutely. There's and, a... um, and especially, as you say, in a society like ours that is very secular or identifies being secular, but struggle to talk about people's mm. beliefs. There's a, uh, sorry, I've, I've pulled up some articles as we're talking about this. Um, so they're calling it the No no Detriment Clause or something mm-hmm. like that, where they can, uh, and, and this is because uh, what what is being proposed at the moment is that married celebrants with a particular religious affiliation don't have to marry people that they don't agree with. Okay, well, that seems more than reasonable, as we've just uh, talked about. But what they're saying is that, uh, oh, but what if somebody in a corporation, because of their view on traditional marriage, gets, um, and, and they're, they're worried that... Uh, that people will be punished for their view that discriminates against other people and hurts those other people uh, laterally across their life. And, and they're worried about the person that's doing that to somebody mm-hmm. else about them getting punished. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's bizarre, but it's, it's not without precedent. It's the kind of thing we see throughout human history, I think, where we get one group attacking the other group. And it's this almost kind of... Um, uh, unthought through like dark side of the evolutionary process like one group going no nah, we're going to annihilate this group from our collection of uh uh of, of what we think the future of humanity is and that's what these people are always banging on about they think that there is some something uh 
dark, you know, the homosexual agenda, mm-hmm. that there's some kind of agenda to take over humanity. Oh, we do, I mean, have, we do have an agenda. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we share it on 3CR Breakfast this morning? Yeah. We, yeah. We Break, breaking news at, at this moment. You heard it first. <laughs> I have a feeling the agenda might be a little bit more innocuous than these people make out. Though. Oh, I love... But, but, go on. Oh, I just love Hattie Gadsby on the, um, the homosexual agenda. She's like, I just want to have a cup of tea. That's on my agenda. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. do some shopping this afternoon. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, I find interesting, and I think this is a topic for another time when you come, that here we are in a very secular society, and yet somehow a particular group, very narrow group of Christians, because not all mm, Christian people absolutely. believe these things, um, has seems to have, have taken over in some way or had a huge influence on our current government. It's like, you know, the tail wagging the dog. I mean, where did all that power come from? I think mm. as, a, as a historian, I'm sure well, it's something yes, you've looked at. that's something that I'm working on. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm happy to talk about that. If people are but, interested in it, uh, Marion Maddox has written quite a bit yes. about this. Her work, her book's God Under Howard and Taking God to School, uh, exp- uh, tell the history of the, the, the creeping influence of religion in public life. Yeah, in Australia. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. I have read it, and definitely. No, oh, you're all looking at me because I'm making secret hand signals I that think you are, aren't right? meant this to is, be. Oh, this is my first time. I don't know the, I don't know the <laughs> no, code. We haven't that's minutes. This. That's oh. minutes, guys. <laughs> um, so we have five of them oh, uh, until 8.30 and, yep. uh, and stick together. Um, yeah, so uh, Tim, how are you seeing now the what's coming out of or what potentially will come out of the referendum? Uh, what or not referendum? Sorry, what do we yes. call postal vote? Whatever this yes, uh, the thing is, aberration. Dodgy opinion poll. Yes, opinion poll. So, well, how do you see? You know, what's coming out of that? What's next? Well, it seems likely. I don't want to be too optimistic uh, that it will come out as yes. Uh, the Labor Party has come out to say they are not in favour of extra uh, exemptions from sex discrimination, although uh, they stay and the Greens have also support Dean Smith's bill, which does innovate and include new powers of some new powers of discrimination for religious individuals. Um, so that's uh, but but they're, they're relatively limited. They're not the ones that Eric Betts and John Howard and Tony Abbott are pushing for. So it doesn't seem, it seems like with the current parliament, if, this, if the current parliament, if legislation was to come before the current parliament, um, Labor and the Greens wouldn't support it in the Senate and there are enough uh, hyper-conservatives, uh, Cory Bernardi and the like, who will not vote for any marriage legislation, whatever powers of religious freedom it has. So it's unlikely that legislation that innovates uh, and invents new powers of religious discrimination will pass. But I, what I'm more hopeful about is that the, the way that this debate has politically activized lots, activated lots of populations and has also brought uh, the current uh, degree of religious exemptions from sex discrimination legislation to the fore, I'm hopeful that it will actually uh, provide a catalyst for us to think critically about what does freedom of religion in Australia mean and are there actually real conflicts between protections for sexual and gender identity and protections for religious thought and belief and practice? And what exemptions should we actually maintain in Australian law? So perhaps the silver lining is that we can start to erode away this 
soft theocracy that's come to a quite clear light. Yes, let's call it creeping. Yeah. Uh, creeping. Creeping Creeping theocracy. theocracy. We have creeping Sharia and freedom cats. Why not have creeping theocracy? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Well, we've got about um, two minutes yeah, left. Do you have a final miss- comment uh, for us, uh, Tim, on this on this issue? Final comment? I thought that was my final comment. <laughs> oh, you can <laughs> look. That can be your final comment. <laughs> no, I, I have a final, well, no, I have a final question, unless someone else. Yeah, I mean, from from where you're sitting, uh, uh, you know, how have you seen the impact of this whole exercise on the commu- on the gay community in Australia? Yeah, it hasn't been fun. Um, just looking at my Facebook feed, most of my queer friends have uh, talked about the struggles. When your personal identity is up for a, and your relationships are up for a vote for public approval, um, it's not just an abstract debate about uh, you know, and an in the institution of marriage, which people like or don't like. Um, it's about your dignity as a human being. Yes. That's what it's become about. And this const- it's a constant attack on your dignity as a human being. Oh, you're not, you're not welcome in this uh, foundational institution of society, whether you want to or not. Um, mm-hmm. So whatever your opinion on marriage, most people are experiencing it. Most gay people and lesbian and trans and mm-hmm. queer spectrum of people are ex- experience this whole debate as an attack on their dignity as humans. And it hasn't been fun for most people. Well, it's one week to go until we find out what the results of this uh, farcical process uh, were. And that's exactly when we'll be back. Uh, but thank you to uh, everyone who we have spoken to this morning. Thank you to Giordano. Giordano, um, thank you to... Harry Hobbs uh, from Union New South Wales on, on the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Uh, and Judith for heading out to the uh, to the uh, refugee rally and getting those fantastic vox pops for us there, mm. um, which are always very good at um, producing. So will you be along on, on Friday? Of course, Friday is the next um, rally. It's going on uh, weekly uh, from then. Uh, there's also Sunday the 12th is a campaign launch picnic at Flagstaff Gardens, 1pm uh, for eight days of solidarity for refugees. Uh, their website, 8, the number, days of solidarity for refugees wordpress.com you can find more info there also another event monday the 13th mural painting at here at 3cr uh, uh 21 smith street don't have a time for that yet but we'll uh, keep you updated and friday the 17th an eight hour vigil uh, vigil uh with um uh, details to be confirmed so stay tuned uh to 3cr to find out more tim with a final final comment one sure <laughs> there's a, a queer uh, solidarity protest at the State Library at 5pm today, getting all the queers who've been activated are on around same-sex marriage politics to come and show our solidarity with uh, refugees on Manus at the moment. So Great. shout Good out idea. to all of, all of you out there to come along at 5. Yay. This has been 3CR Breakfast with Judith, Patty, and Nick.